going to pray for a minute. Father, you know the hearts of every person in this room. You know what they're struggling with. You know what they're thinking about. You know the journey that each person is on. And I know that your love for us is deep and real and authentic and that your heart toward us this morning is more than we could even understand. So I'm asking that your Holy Spirit will be present in the midst of us and that what we talk about in the next few moments will not just be a thought, but will be life-changing. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to tell you right up front, I'm an old guy now. And that means that I just realized this morning the print is like way too small on my notes. So if it looks like, gosh, what's he doing? Going, it's because I want to read what I have to say. So uh, hopefully that will be not a distraction this morning. Back in the 1990s, before I moved from California to Tennessee, I owned a landscape company. Most of my time has always been a paying job and then ministry alongside that. And in this case, it was a landscape business. And part of what I did in my landscape company was design and install custom landscapes. Now, if you're going to do a landscape for somebody, you have to have intention from the very moment you begin that process because in order to get the final product, you have to be able to see in advance what it is you're going to do, right? So I had to know that this is what the stonework's going to look like, this is where the plants are going to go, over here goes the lawn, this is where the pathway is, all of that, because I couldn't begin the process of moving from where we were to where we needed to be until I saw it first. So you have to have intention, and intention then leads to a process of moving forward. And that's called design. God, the creator of all things, is the great designer. So I want us to begin this morning by realizing that nothing that God says or God does through his word or through the body of Christ, nothing happens without intention. So God is always moving in an intentional way to bring us to a point where he accomplishes what he has in mind. Now, sometimes we're very confused, right? Sometimes we're like, God, I don't understand what you're doing at all. But God never is in a place where he doesn't understand what he's up to. And that's why we can trust God, because God knows what he has in mind. And the real question is, are we willing to line our lives up with what he has in mind? Now, God created us with a mind and an ability to think, and emotions and an ability to feel. And those are used in different ways. Some people are much more mind-oriented. Some, some people are much more emotion-oriented. It depends on how your makeup is. But all of those are important because they all have to do with attention. So for some people, if you're a scientist or you're an engineer, you're very mind-oriented, you're making calculations, and you're figuring things so you can determine outcomes. Those are very necessary. For other people, you're very intuitive, you're less structured, your mind uh, is maybe less involved in your emotions, and if you're creative or artistic, then you know how important that is in order for you to determine what it is you want to accomplish or what you want to create and achieve the outcome. But it all has to do with the t intention. Now, is our road picture up there? What happened to our pictures? We have our slides up. There we go. 
When you look at this picture of the road, you can either see two things. You can see, okay, if I want to get from point A to point B, then I need to go like this. Or you can see, this isn't a road, this is a part of a larger transportation system. Now, whether you see it as a road or whether you see it as a transportation system is a big deal. Because if you see it as a road, it's simply, okay, today I need to go from my home to work, so all that matters is I put in my GPS, or if I'm going somewhere I haven't been before, I put it in my GPS and I get from A to B. If you see it as a transportation system, then that changes your perspective because now it's not just point A to B, it's this is a small thing that's a part of a bigger thing, and as you drive, it's not just about I'm going down the road to get from point A to B, but I'm participating as I drive through in communities, and those communities have needs, and the people in those communities have needs, and I'm a part of that, and you begin to see differently than just getting from point A to point B, you begin to realize, oh, there's all kinds of things going on around me every day. Next time you drive down the road, think about this. I wonder what's going on in the lives of the people in those houses I just drove by. I wonder what's going on. I have a passion for pastors, so I often pay for churches as I drive by churches when I'm on the road working. And I often wonder, what's going on in that church? What's going on in that business over there? But it all depends on how you see. How you see and what you see changes everything. One of the things that Jesus wanted us to understand is that seeing is important. So perception is important. And God is a God who will go to any length to help you and I see and perceive things the way that God had in mind. So God has always worked through creation. I mean, there's something right about being outside and just experiencing God's creation. And you begin to realize, wow, look how big God is. Look how capable God is. God can do things that I can't do. I mean, I can't create some of those amazing things that you and I see. And then God works through people. God will often bring people into your life to say things to you and to show things to you that you're not going to be able to see yourself, right? So God has always raised up people with the capability to speak what he has in mind. Either way, whether it's through creation or whether it's through people, God is always about trying to bring forth in your life and in my life what he has in mind. Now here's the problem. When you were younger, maybe when you were older, did you ever play that game where you start and someone says a word and then you pass the word down the line and you see what it comes out the other end? Doesn't you? Yeah, telephone. It doesn't usually uh, come out at the end where it was at the beginning, does it? That's because when there's a message to be communicated, it often gets twisted or turned or miscommunicated or misunderstood along the way. And then somebody has to come along and go, no, 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 that's not what I said, right? If you're a parent this morning, you know this is true because you've said to your child on more than one occasion, whether it was with this tone or not, did you hear what I said, right? You have, I see parents looking at children. You know that you've said that, and you've said that for one reason. You wanted to get their attention, and then you wanted them to understand that you had something that you wanted them to, sorry, you wanted them to understand what it is you were trying to say. So you wanted to get their attention, and you wanted them to understand something. That's no different with God. God is always about trying to get our attention and letting us know that He has something to say. Now, historically in the Bible, God raised up prophets and priests and other leaders 
And they always had a message that God wanted to convey to His people. And then something happened. They quit listening. So we went through this 400-year period um, where God quit speaking at all. I mean, I can't even understand what that would have been like to live then. But God quit speaking, and then all of a sudden God said at the proper time, all right, I'm coming now. And this time, instead of sending somebody else, I'm coming myself. The most intentional thing God ever did for you or I was when He sent Jesus. When God Himself came from eternity into time, the infinite became finite, and God came to help us understand what it was He had in mind. God came with the idea that we needed clarification. We'd messed it up. The only way that we were going to get to where God wanted to be is if He Himself, in the form of Jesus, came and began to explain where we went astray. You with me? So Jesus comes on the scene, and what's the first thing that Jesus says? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, one of the things that unfortunately is true about the church is that they sometimes get things wrong. Okay? No church is perfect, no people are perfect. And one of the things that the church has gotten wrong in so many ways is this whole idea of what repent is. In fact, I would say we've completely mangled the word. We've turned repent into this. We've turned repent into this activity where if you aren't where you need to be, you at the end of a church service need to walk down to the front and you need to admit in front of everybody that you're completely blown it, that you're a complete mess up, and then you need to pray the specific prayer, and then you need to say, I want Jesus in my life, and then I want to go to heaven. Now, you know what I'm talking about. That's not what God had in mind at all. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't a need to come to a place where we need to surrender our lives to Christ. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But that's not what God or Jesus meant when He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus meant you need to begin to think differently. That's what they would have heard Him say. Think differently. Change your mind. You need to move in a new direction. I'm trying to get you to understand that much of what you've known or much of what you've been taught or much of what your religious tradition has conveyed to you is not what God had in mind. And so that was a big deal when Jesus came to try to convey to them that where you're at and where I'm at are not the same thing. Now I'll give you some examples of that shortly. So here's what I want you to hear. There's not a single recorded example in Scripture where Jesus said, now here's what I'm really all about. Uh, I'm going to sit here on the mountain and teach you guys, and as soon as I'm done, I'm going to see how many people can walk down to the front, and I'll tell you what to say, and then after you say it, I'm going to give you a certificate of promise that you get to go to heaven. I didn't see that anywhere in Scripture. Not at all. What I heard Jesus say is, I'm going to tell you some things, and then I want you to think about them, and I want you to realize that where you're at and where I'm at are not, the, <clears throat> not on the same page. And here's, here's my example of that. How many times do you read in Scripture? It was right in the passage this morning. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. That was Jesus trying to help us to understand you have gotten off track. You're lost. You need a compass. You need to find your way again. 
I don't know about you, but being lost is no fun. Now, men have a much harder time, ladies, than you know this is true, than women do about being lost. Women just say, I'm lost. I need to figure out how to get where I'm going. Men, or I can figure it out. I'll, I'll be okay. We, we all have to come to the point somewhere along the way where we realize that we're lost. We're not where we need to be. In their book, Presence, the authors talking about how we see and how we perceive things say this. In the movie The Truman Show, actor Jim Carrey plays a man whose entire life is a television show, broadcast to millions, unknown to Truman himself. From his point of view, he is just living his life. In the middle of the movie, a group of reporters interview the director, the godlike figure played by Ed Harris who literally determines Truman's life, whether it's going to rain or be sunny, the plot for next week's story, whether or not things will turn out okay for Truman. And then one interviewer asked the director, how do you explain that Truman has never figured out his whole life is just a television show? And the director responds this, we all accept reality as it's been presented to us. Jesus came to help us to understand that reality you and I see is not really reality. That the reality that we often perceive, the things we've been taught, the things we've experienced, were not what God had in mind. They're just what we've experienced. And so we need Jesus to help us to understand that we need to see, we need to think, we need to perceive in a different way. So in the Sermon on the Mount, which is what you've been focusing on here, Jesus starts in the Beatitudes and, he's, and he begins to explain, okay, so you think you're supposed to be, at, be this way, but I'm really telling you you're supposed to be this way. And he does that by making real simple statements. Sometimes our biggest problem is that we try to make things too complex. We try to figure it out and, and wrestle through it. Somebody said to me the other day, you think too much. I think we all do that at times, right? We try to draw conclusions, and it's interesting how off track we can easily get. Now, one of the things that was true about the people that Jesus were talking about was talking to is not only had they gotten lost, but they'd failed to understand something significant, and that was they thought that what was taught in their religious tradition, which was Judaism, all of the law, all of the things that have been added to the law, they thought that's reality. They thought that's what God had in mind. And Jesus comes along and he begins to tell them, no, no, that's not what I had in mind at all. One of the hardest things for people to do is come to the place for you and I, or for churches that matter, to come to the place where you have to say, I, I got it wrong. Now, you would say to me, but wait, 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 John. These are religious people. I mean, they knew the law. They, they had gone through the training. They'd, they'd memorized the Torah. They knew all that stuff. Yeah, these are the people that should have had it right. It, it, it's amazing to me how easily we want to point the finger at other people, particularly people that haven't experienced Christ or they... They haven't uh, participated in what we would call the church world. Um, we want to point the finger at them and tell them, oh, you, need, you don't understand. This is how it is, and this is what you need to do, and this is what you need to get right because your life's a mess. And 
you know, whenever you point fingers at you, at others, there's fingers pointing back at you. And Jesus wanted them to understand you need to focus a lot less on other people and you need to start focusing more on yourselves and you need to start owning that where you're at is not what I had in mind. Now I want to talk to men for just a second. One of the things I struggle with or have struggled with, Mark, I know this is true about you too, is why does the church have such a difficult time reaching men? It seems like historically the ladies don't have a, nearly the struggle with the gospel or, or participating in the life of the church. I just want you to think with me about this for a minute. In our culture, men are expected to lead, have it together, and never make mistakes. Pretty much agree with that? Men are expected to lead, have it together, and never make mistakes. Here's what the church tells men. Jesus is supposed to lead. You have to admit that you don't have it together, and you have to admit that you make mistakes. See the disconnect? And here's the problem. The problem is that we have turned this whole idea of relationship with God into activities. And so... Men are often told, listen, if you want to follow Jesus, what you have to do, guys, is admit you're a total mess, you're a total screw-up, you don't have anything together, and do that in a public setting. Now, I don't know about the men in this room, but most men I know are not going to do that. Because everything in their life tells them that's anti what you're supposed to be about. The problem is that what the church says is true. You do have to let Jesus lead. You do have to admit that you don't have it all together. So where's the disconnect? The disconnect is this, that none of that is about some specific activity where you at a moment pronounce, I'm a mess and I need Jesus and I want Him in my life, which is totally important and you need to come to that conclusion. But if that's all it was, you missed the point. The point is, it's a process. The point is, Jesus is saying to them and He's saying to us, You need to rethink. You need to change your mind. It's not about an activity. It's about a process. Now, most guys I know, if you tell them, hey, you just need to start thinking a little differently. You need to take a different approach. Oh, okay. I'm willing to consider that. I'm willing to do that. When Jesus talked about being a disciple, He talked about being a learner. He didn't talk about being a confessor. We place way too much emphasis on confess this, confess that, and not nearly enough emphasis on where are you, what next steps do you need to take in order to get where you need to be. That's a process. and That's discipleship. In the passage that we're looking at this morning that we read together, God is trying to get us to understand that He has a very specific thing in mind. I want to talk about another word that we mangle way too much, and that's the word sin. Now, some of you already know this, but I'm guessing that maybe more than a few don't know this, so I'm going to share this this morning. When I was in Boy Scouts, uh, when I was an adolescent, Um, one of the things we did when you went to camp is we went out to the archery range. And 
I remember the first time we were at the archery range and you get instruction on how to put the arrow in the, into the bow and you get instruction on how to pull the bow and here's the target and here's how to aim and all of that and then you shoot the bow. And I remember the, or the, the arrow. And the very first time I shot the arrow, I remember what happened. I watched that arrow and I watched it sail right over the hay bale. Not only did I not hit the target, I didn't even hit the hay bale. Okay? So what did I do? I made a small adjustment based on the instructor that was helping me, and then I pulled the bow back and I shot again. Well, this time, at least I hit the hay bale. So that was a marked improvement, right? And then I went through that process again and again and again until eventually I was regularly hitting the target. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but at the time of Jesus, when you took a bow and an arrow and you shot at a target, if you missed the target, the word for that was sin. So sin is not about character. Sin is about process. Sin is about, you need to understand that if you're missing the target, what God had in mind, that you need to make some adjustments. Are you with me? There's not a single one of us in here this morning that doesn't need to make adjustments in our life for our life to better line up with what God had in mind. Now in the passage this morning that we're looking at, God is really talking about two things. He's talking about where they were and what their understanding was and where He wanted them to be. So I'm going to talk about that in this terms. Holding on and letting go. I think everybody can relate to that. So God wanted them to understand that what they had been taught was vengeance, retaliation, and holding on. The clenched fist. Jesus wanted them to understand that's not what God had in mind at all. What He had in mind was nonviolent love, letting go the open hand. So, they live in a culture that's all about holding on to things, and Jesus is trying to get them that the kingdom of God is all about letting go of things. Completely different. Now, all behavior is reflected in choices, so... Whatever choice you make has a predictable outcome. Or in some cases, unpredictable, but either way, it has an outcome. So I want us to think for a minute about holding on. If you choose to hold on, if you choose to pursue vengeance, retaliation, and that realm, here are some words that are reflected in holding on. Internalizing, pretending, rehearsing, gossiping, slandering, bullying, acting out, abuse, and addiction. Those are all indications, if that's a part of your life, that you're holding on to something. And holding on has predictable outcomes. In fact, if you talk to people who are in the medical or psychological field, they will tell you that more often than not, the root problem of issues that are going on in your life is that you're holding on to something. It's amazing to me how much money people spend month in and month out on counseling. And most counselors, when they finally come to the bottom line or what the issue is, what the real problem is, always comes down to the same thing. You're holding on to something. So Jesus is trying to help them to understand that holding on is not what God had in mind. 
The problem is, in our culture, we have a dominant message. And here's the dominant message of the culture. Make sure you get what's yours. Make sure you protect what's yours. Make sure nobody takes advantage of you. Let me read that again. Make sure you get what's yours. Make sure you protect what's yours. Make sure no one takes advantage of you. And so, we have this spectrum of retaliatory behaviors in our culture that people engage in. And all of those things come down to two things. Manipulation and control. And Jesus said, that's not what I had in mind. Now, you know this is real because you and I complain about manipulation and control all the time. We complain about people in positions of authority that make decisions and we don't agree with them, particularly if they have day-to-day effects upon our life because we feel like we're being manipulated. We feel like people are trying to control us and even at times when we want to do things or make decisions, we can't because of things other people are doing. And that's reflected in the way that our culture operates. So Jesus came along and He said, listen, I know that you've been told, just like today's culture, it's all about holding on. I'm going to tell you it's all about letting go. It's about the open hand. It's about words like release, resolution, freedom, which is always tied, by the way, to forgiveness, peace, and contentment. It would be interesting, Mark, if we could had some way to measure how many people's lives would change tomorrow if they extended the forgiveness over the bitterness that they have in their life and decided, I'm done with this. Too many people say, well, I can't forgive that person. What you really mean is you're still angry at that person and you aren't willing to let go and you don't realize the freedom isn't, or the forgiveness is really more about for you than it is for them. When you forgive someone, that brings freedom into your life because you're no longer carrying the anger and the bitterness that you once had. Things would change radically over that one small thing. So, if you choose letting go as opposed to holding on, there are predictable outcomes to that. Like a better night's sleep. Do you know how many people in a recent survey... Uh, list uh, a long list of things they said if you could just pick one thing that you would like to have change in your life the number one thing by a huge percentage was I just want to get a good night's sleep whether you sleep well or don't sleep well is a huge indicator of what's going on in your life a huge indicator things like physical health are affected by things like stress you all realize that a lot of weight gain in people has to do with stress? It's always amazing to me. People will buy these diet plans and get into these fads and, and because they want to get the weight off, but they have massive stress in their life. And they don't realize that the two things are just, you know, wiping each other out. Stress is a huge factor. But when you let go, when you release, then stress reduces and You have healthier interpersonal relationships, an overall sense of well-being. All of those come from letting go instead of holding on. And so Jesus is trying to help them to understand that's what God had in mind. In the kingdom of God, love is the most important thing. 
the most important thing. So Jesus said to his disciples, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He did not say, if you hold on, if you seek vengeance, if you want to retaliate, they'll know you are my disciples. But if you have love. So I'm going to suggest to you this morning that the best evidence of whether you are holding on or letting go is how you love. So many people have a messed up idea about what love is. They think it's all about feelings. So I'm in love with you today, but I won't be in love with you tomorrow. I like you today. I don't know, I might like you tomorrow. I feel like I want to make love to you today, but I hate you and so don't get near me tomorrow. That's not what love is. Love is a choice. Love is intentional. Love says, I want to line up my life with God because God is love itself. Love is the best indicator of whether you're holding on or letting go. So let's think about a few things that are true about your life if you're letting go. The first would be that you are practicing healthy self-care, beginning with learning how to accept and love yourself. If you were to talk to counselors, they would tell you that besides the problem of holding on being the root of so many issues in people's lives, the other thing they would tell you is most people have never come to grips with the fact that they don't even like themselves. And if they could learn to accept themselves and if they could learn to love themselves and if they could learn to believe that God made them for a reason and He made them just like they are, that would be a huge step in them learning to love and learning to let go. So I'm telling you that one of the things that people are holding on to that they need to let go of really has nothing to do with anybody else. It has to do with yourself. You're holding on to the concept or the idea that there's all these issues with you, all these problems with you, and some of you actually believe in this room that God doesn't like you. That's so not true. God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. You just don't love yourself. The second thing that's true about letting go is that people that are willing to let go have developed a discipline of building healthy relationships. And they've built that discipline around having boundaries. Because what happens in so many people's lives is that they make a commitment to let go instead of hold on, but they have unhealthy relationships in their life that are facilitating holding on. And so you say to me, I know I have this issue, John. I know I have this problem. I know God's been dealing with me. I know I need to let go. But you have these people in your life that are telling you, hold on, hold on, hold on. And you are afraid to tell those people, sorry, you can't be in my life anymore. Because you don't have boundaries. And because you don't have boundaries, those people continue to facilitate the cultural mandate of hold on, hold on, hold on. And so part of learning to let go and part of learning to do what God had in mind is being honest about healthy relationships in your life. And then a third indication of letting go is that you've learned it's not all about you. 
Now you say, well, I know it's not all about me, but do you know that? Because the majority of people make most of the decisions they make based on what's in it for me. What's going to be good for me? Most people are not interested in making the hard choices of what's the best for everybody. It's a hard thing to say. You know what? I can't do that because that's not what's best. Especially if it's a habit in your life that you uh, aren't really willing to let go of. Paul wrote this, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. That's the holding on part. But in humility, that's the letting go. Count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Letting go rather than holding on leads to a balanced, healthy life. So how do we intentionally transition from holding on to letting go? I'm going to give you five ways. The first way is you have to change your mindset. That was the word repent. Remember, you have to think differently. You have to see differently. You have to perceive differently. You have to change your mindset. The second way is you have to be willing to admit, guess what? Everything I learned is not true, and I have to admit we got some of it wrong individually or even as a church, and we have to make some changes. You have to unlearn and you have to relearn. Some of us have to retrain our brain to realize a lot of where we were going and the decisions we were making are not what God had in mind. We have to do it differently. And that takes work. And some of us need a partner to do that, by the way, because some of us don't have the capacity to make those kinds of changes without accountability. Some of us are capable of doing that. We say, yeah, I can just, I'm going to do that and we're after it. But that's not the way some people are wired. There's nothing wrong with admitting you need a person in your life to help you to get where you need to be. The third thing is we need to start being more intentional. We need to think, we need to act in a different way. The problem is, when you have to think and act in a different way, it means you have to own this. I'm going to have to get out of my comfort zone. Oh no, don't ask me to get out of my comfort zone. I like that. It's like comfort food, right? When you're not feeling too happy, you got that favorite thing you like to eat. The comfort zone is the same thing. When I'm not there, I like to be there. The problem is, you aren't going to get where, from where you are to where you need to be unless you're willing to get out of your comfort zone. It means you have to be learning, you have to learn to be brave and you have to learn to take those steps to do the right thing even if it's hard. Oh, John, you didn't have to tell me that, did you? I don't want to do the hard thing. I know that's why you're holding on. Because you don't want to do the hard thing. That's why I've held on in the past, because I didn't want to do the hard thing. Doing the hard thing is difficult. And listen, for some people the hard thing is admitting I can't figure this out myself. I need professional help. There is not a thing wrong with owning that you haven't been able to get it where you need to be, so you need to go to a counselor and you just need to say, look, these are my issues. I need help sorting through this so I can go from where I am to where I need to be. That's a really healthy thing. Don't let anybody tell you different. Five, it means that we have to rethink prayer. You're probably thinking, how does that possibly relate to holding on or letting go? 
Let me give you an example of holding on. Holding on is when your prayer is all about a shopping list. When your prayer is, I want you to do this God and this God and this God and this God because you've assumed you already know what it is God had in mind. And when you're, whether it's for you or for anybody else in your life, when your prayer life is nothing but a shopping list, and I didn't say there's anything wrong with petition. Don't get me wrong. But when that's all it is, then you've already decided what God had in mind and you're not open to God telling you anything new like, that's not really what I had in mind. I really had in mind that you would act like this or behave like this or decide to do this or change your attitude about that. But again, that requires making the hard choice. Now, most of us like noise. Some of you have a real hard time if you don't have noise around you all the time. Some of you are more like me where you have a hard time if there is noise around you all the time. You like quiet. It doesn't really matter whether you're one or the other. The reality is you have to have some quiet in your life. So I'm going to suggest to you this morning that the change that needs to happen in prayer is that you've got to start finding some time for quiet. It's called solitude. Where you stop making all the decisions and you stop doing all the asking and you might find out that the Spirit of God wants to impress upon your mind some things that you hadn't been thinking about, some things that you wouldn't come to on your own. For me, I know driving as much as I do because I work from Maine to Florida to West Texas and I drive all that every quarter. I spend an inordinate amount of time behind a windshield. I got this idea that maybe I could start with 10 or 15 minutes and I could say, I wonder, God, what you might have in mind for me or what you might want to say to me This was an experiment in the beginning. If I just was quiet for a while, turned off the radio, and just let you speak to my heart. Oh man, I wasn't even anywhere near ready for what God... God, I've been waiting forever for you to do this! Okay, so that's a little dramatic, but I'm sure he did because he had plenty of things to tell me. So I went from 15 to 20 to 30 to an hour. Now I regularly spend two to four hours driving completely quiet, just letting God say what He wants to say. And and now I discovered something new in, in the last couple of months. God wants to speak to me not just about my own life, but in deep, significant ways about other people. And so I'm working uh, and have been over the last few months with a couple of families where they've just got stuff going on in their family history. and So I've just been quiet and sitting before the Lord and letting Him tell me what He wants to say. And then I'll say something to somebody in the family or they're like, how could you know that? Because I stopped long enough to listen. We, we miss an awful lot because we don't stop long enough to listen. I want to submit to you this morning that if we'll take those changes and we'll stop and begin to think differently, if we'll begin to uh, want to relearn and unlearn and relearn, if we'll start being more intentional, if we'll get out of our comfort zone, if we'll seek help if we need it, if we'll stop and listen, that things will change in our life. Things will change because 
the very thing that God wants, which is for us to stop holding on and start to let go, is being blocked by our own ability to listen to God. And you might just find out in the process that God's going to ask you to do some hard things. But I'll submit to you this morning out of my own experience and the experience of many other people that when you're willing to submit to God, even when it comes with brokenness and transparency, that it always is the first step to healing and wholeness. And it always leads to hope. Let's pray. Father, thank You this morning for Your heart toward us, for the desire that You have for us to let go and to stop holding on. And Father, I pray for each of us this morning for the areas that we're struggling in in our life where we want to hold on and we're afraid to let go and we're afraid of what other people will think and we're afraid of the consequences that might come because we don't truly trust You. That You would help us begin to trust You this morning that we can move in the direction You want, that we can own that we don't have it all together, that we haven't always got it right, and that You know what's best for us. Help us, Lord, to take steps in that direction. In Jesus' name, Amen.